Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Great. Would you give a huge uh, Church United welcome to the head of mission to young adults from the Evangelical Alliance, Mr. Phil Knox? Great. How are you doing? I'm on a swivelly chair. You're on a swivelly chair. Um, it's very exciting, isn't it? It's I'm, more exciting I'm, I'm than chatting. I'm afraid I'll kind of swivel around. Um, I'm doing all right, thank you. Do you know what? First of all, I just want to say thank you. I've had a rubbish week. And the chance to just spend this morning worshipping you, worshipping with you, um, with such life has just really warmed my heart. So thank you. Bless you. It's been great to be with you. Thanks. It will get you everywhere, that kind of Come flattery. On, you. We're glad to have you. So, so tell us, an exciting uh, time for the Evangelical Alliance. Uh, what's the video? All these things going on. Tell us, what's your part in that? Where do you fit in and what do you spend your time doing day by day, week by week? Great. I'm the head of mission to young adults. Um, and so I've been in post about a year. Um, the Evangelical Alliance, 10 years ago, produced a piece of research that found between 1985 and 2005, we lost over half of those in their 20s in our churches in Britain. And so as part of that, I guess that's part of my story as well. I grew up in a youth group on a council estate in Birmingham. Um, and um, that, within that youth group, there were 15 to 20 of us, all going for it with Jesus, all following God passionately. Now, I'm 36, following Jesus today of that youth group. There's probably me and a couple of others. And, and just my heart breaks for that. I don't know about you, but I want, I want to see the investment we're making in younger generations really pay off. And so my role is with the Alliance. The Alliance see this is really cr- critical for the future and the presence of our church. So as head of mission to young adults, um, I do a bit of speaking, a bit of writing, looking at culture, helping the whole church engage those in their 20s and 30s. I, I really believe I'm passionate about seeing a church full of all generations. I want to see significant numbers of 20s and 30s come into faith. Um, I believe I want, to, I want to see that missing generation become the founds generation, but also the finding generation. So, so can, yeah, you, that's what can I do. you drill that down just a little bit? Something that's really excited you over the last six months that you've been involved in that, that nudges us towards that goal? Yeah, I, I mean, we, there's loads going on. I think it's, um, if I look back, I, I basically preach in a different church every Sunday. It's wonderful to be with you today. I guess I see, as I travel the nation, so much hope. You know, if you listen to some parts of our media, you'd believe the church is dead. Christianity could be consigned to the history books of our times. Absolute nonsense. I spoke in a church earlier this year. They've seen 15 young adults come to faith that week, including two who turned up on the steps of the church that, that, that week. No church background at all. Said, um, we've just come to repent. What do we do? Uh, I was preaching on a Sunday. They said that someone had come to faith Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. They said, you're up on Sunday. No pressure. You know, so, so loads of hope, loads going on, um, loads of challenge as well, um, but, um, but loads, of, loads of hope. The church has a far greater future, I believe, than it, than it has a past. Uh, and that, in a sense, anticipates my next question, which was going to be, as you travel around, yeah. are you despairing or hope-filled? From what you're saying, you're super hope-filled about the life of the church in the UK at the moment. Yeah, I mean, there is, you know, I think there, are, there, are, there is discouragement as well. You know, we look at on a, on a national picture, we see so much division, don't we? And so I think the sadness in me sometimes sees that a bit in the church. And I want to, I'm desperate for a united church. Jesus said that the way that you'll know that you're my disciples is the way you love one another. So that's the kind of discouragement. Um, and we as, a, as an alliance are kind of fighting for unity across the whole church. And there's more being done for unity, actually, across the country. Hundreds of places have churches coming together. Delighted to be part of a 
United Service today, for example. Um, but the good news is loads of people are coming to faith. Really, I, I'm seeing it constantly. People, even this morning, you know, people coming up to me go, I've just been a Christian for a couple of years. Or Fantastic. You know, I, I live on a council estate in Birmingham. Our, our neighbours have recently come to faith. Whole family of six. You know, and, and um, yeah, constantly see and, and also a spiritual hunger. Do you know, I think, I think we are living in challenging times, aren't we? But actually, when, when, the, when religious faith is being pushed to the sidelines and times are a bit more difficult, I think that makes people more spiritually hungry. And even last night, I was at a friend's gathering, bumped into people I didn't know. I had that awkward, chat, awkward moment where I'm sure you get it signed where people say, what do you do? And you go, uh, <laughs> you got to kind of work for the church. And this, you know, this girl was like, that's amazing. Can, I, 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 tell me more. I, I think there's a real spiritual hunger about people. So I'm, I'm, I'm really encouraged by that. Brilliant. We love your energy and your passion for all that God's doing. And uh, we're going to change tempo just a little bit. Uh, because you're here from the Evangelical Alliance, it would seem strange not to just begin to explore it. There is a general election coming up, everybody. Um, it's going to be on the 12th of December. Have you heard about that? <laughs> and uh, the Evangelical works really, Alliance works really hard to help us as individuals and as churches to respond. Give us a couple of top tips over these next couple of weeks, not only to survive, but yeah. to feel like for kingdom's sake, we yeah. thrive during this next, uh, next period of time. Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing we can all do is really pray. You know, I think often we overestimate our actions and underestimate our prayers. We really need to be praying. I think we, there's loads of things we can be praying for. I think one thing to pray for is our MPs. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I recently, after all that stuff kicked off, that real vitriol and aggression in Parliament, I just tweeted my MP and said, I just want you to know, I'm, I'm really praying for you. And she's yeah, she, really a seat seat lady. She came back, said, thanks very much. We need to pray for those in Parliament. Um, I... Uh, it, as part of the Alliance, we're giving a daily prayer guide as to what you can be praying to kind of guide your prayers. So if you go on the Evangelical Alliance website, or I'll post it on Twitter this morning, um, you can see that. Um, so really, really pray. I think the second thing we genuinely we can do as, as, a, as a church is join the Evangelical Alliance. Because what we're doing as an Alliance is we speak up on behalf of all of us as good news evangelical Christians to government and to MPs. And if you're not an individual member of the Evangelical Alliance today, I want to urge you uh, to become one. Um, just one quick example of that, uh, speaking with Simon before the service, there was, a, there was a bill going through Parliament a couple of years ago that would have enabled Ofsted to come into every Sunday school and every youth group in the country and essentially vet what was being said. And as part of the Alliance, our strength is on our, is on our membership. So we've got 18,000 individual members, 4,000 churches, 600 organizations. And we basically said, this is just not on. Governmental regulation of private religion is just not the role of government. So we were able to speak up on behalf of our membership and say, this isn't on. And delighted to say that about a year ago, that bill was dropped. Isn't that, isn't that good, yeah, news? good news? And, and so, so if you're able to join us today, um, we can speak on behalf of all of us. Um, it costs just £3 a month to become a member. Um, please, do, please do join us. We can keep you up to date with all that's going on, but also it helps us speak with a louder voice. You're part of something bigger and, um, and really, really makes a difference. And we, we will be doing that in the run-up to the general election um, and beyond. It really helps us. Brilliant. And I know more resources on the EA website as we head towards the election. And specifically in terms of praying, would you pray for us? We invite uh, the candidates to Burlington. Uh, We've done it over the last few general elections. We're in the process of doing that again. Uh, It's an opportunity for us to ask questions that frame the values uh, that so many of us believe in. So pray for us as we make those contacts and that we can logistically make healthy conversations uh, with the candidates so that we might be both supportive and make our vote count 
as well. In a moment or two, Phil's going to come and preach to us. We're going to sing a song, and as we do, we're going to take up our offering. All the loose offering today will go to the Evangelical Alliance. But if you have a, uh, uh, you know, your offering for your particular church, then pop it in the envelope that's associated with your church, or if not, grab a Burlington envelope and scrub out Burlington and write the appropriate church on it. We will deal with that um, honestly. And silently, see what I did then? A pun for Friday. Um, uh, so you can give to your church this morning in the usual way, and that will get through all loose offering, though, to the Evangelical Alliance today. Let's stand together. God is good. Thanks, Philip, so much. Thank you. It is absolutely uh, wonderful to be with you. Um, I'm around for most of the day, actually, but also at the end of the service, would love to see you. I've um, got a couple of things um, that might be useful for you um, to give you from the Alliance. Um, the first is, um, if uh, one of the things we've done recently with the Lawyers Christian Fellowship um, is we've, uh, we've been working with them to create a new resource called Speak Up. And um, this gives you your rights in terms of sharing your faith at work um, and in your community. A lot of people would say you don't have any rights to be able to share your faith or wear a cross in your, in your workplace. You absolutely do. And this tells you um, legally what those rights are. If you're interested in that, um, please grab your copy of that. Um, the second, um, this is very ironic, it's a postcard about a website, um, but we've got a website called greatcommission.co.uk, which is full of loads of ideas around mission. It's also, every week we post a story of someone who's come to faith recently, because we really want to change the culture that people are uh, coming to faith regularly. How do you change a culture? You tell a different story. It's the story every week on, on here of someone who's come to faith recently. And if you are able to join us, I would love to give you one of these little forms, um, which is a membership form. Please do fill this in. I'll be by the table just over there. I can give you those bits and pieces. Um, as I said, it costs just £3 a month. If you're part of a couple, it's £3 a month for both of you. We get to re- represent both of you um, for that membership. As a thank you, not because I'm desperate, but because I'm passionate would love to give you a couple of things to say thank you. The first is a little book uh, called Game Changers, which is about changing the world. And the second, I gather you're into food. It's a little cookbook. Who knew that there'd be such a theme of food? Um, this is about stories about how people share faith. would love to give you those things. Come and see me after uh, the service. So, I don't know about you, but when I was younger, um, I used to play games. And um, the games that I used to play... And nowadays, I've got a six-year-old um, and a nearly one-year-old, and they have very fancy um, kind of technological toys. In my day, we played cowboys and Indians in the long grass outside my house. And um, instead of lasers or Nerf guns or anything like that, we used to play with a cricket stump. And so the deal was that what you would do um, is you would wander around in the long grass and um, kind of duck down. And then when you thought your mates were also standing up, you'd pop up with your cricket stump out of the grass and shout, bang! And it required a great deal of honesty because you kind of had to admit um, when you'd been shot or not. And um, there were various ways in which you could win cowboys and Indians. um, But the best way of winning cowboys and Indians was by building a fort. And what you could do after you built your fort is you could pop down behind the fort, pop up and shout, bang! And shoot your mates. That was the best way to win cowboys and Indians. My wife, her love language is sleep. And uh, so at a weekend, the way I bless my wife is I come down bleary-eyed on a Saturday morning or a Sunday morning. Yesterday was 5 a.m., um, so I've had a lot of caffeine this morning and Holy Spirit to keep me going. And um, my near one-year-old, what we do is we build together using, well, I say we build. I am the master architect in our house. And uh, we build a, um, a tower 
using plastic boxes. Because I'm little, I think I might stop there. And um, we build a tower, and then my sons delight in their knocking that tower over. You know, some people, we can be like this often with faith. What we can do is we can go around looking, look, saying, look how brilliant my tower is. My six-year-old has recently realized what it is to have knowledge. You know those days when you were at school and you realized what it was to have knowledge for the first time? came up to me the other day and he said, Daddy, people love me because I'm really clever. I said, that's really lovely, Caleb. He said, I said, how do you know that? He said, Charlie told me. I said, that's very nice. He suffers like me with a self-esteem problem. He has too much of it. And um, so, so some of us, we can be like this with faith. Some of us, we can have faith a little bit like the fort when I played cowboys and Indians. And with faith, what we can often do is use it to keep other people out and say this is what defines us to keep us in. But Jesus, when he talked about faith, he told a story. And um, can you wave him if you went to Sunday school here? If you went to church as a child, few of us, brilliant. And uh, we learn our theology, don't we, often in Sunday school through singing songs. Have you noticed that? And um, so if you would humor me, I'd like to sing with you the song that I learned the theology of how Jesus talked about faith. And it goes a little bit less. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. And the rains came tumbling down. The rains came down and the floods went up. The rains came down and the floods went whoosh. The rains came down and the floods went whoosh. And the house on the rock stood firm. Very good. I, w- I wonder what the children are thinking in their groups. And the adults are singing, what are you doing? You're singing the kids' songs. Or probably the kids' songs are far more trendy these days. Who knew? When Jesus talked about faith, he talked about a firm foundation. And I want to tell you this morning that one of the most amazing things about following Jesus, especially in our times, is that we have the firmest of foundations on which to stand. Can we have the first, this next slide up there? We've got slides behind me. Beautiful. Um, sociologists would say that we are living in times that are characterized as a VUCA, volatile, Uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. Volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous times. In these times, we need desperately a firm foundation on which to stand. And I think one of the best things about following Jesus is in these times, both on a personal, on a community, and on a national level, we have firm foundations on which to stand. And this morning, what I want to do is I want to open the Word of God with us, with that passage that was beautifully read in 1 Corinthians 15, and unpick five firm foundations that we have as Christians, that Paul gives the church in Corinth. See, Corinth was a time probably similar to us. Sometimes we think we live in new times. Actually, the Bible has something to say about all the times in which we live. There was a saying at the times of the church in Corinth that it was to live like a Corinthian, To live a hedonistic, self-defining time. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15 to this church and says, let me tell you what's really important. 
He says, I want to remind you of the gospel I preach to you, which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. He's saying to the Corinthians, this, this is what's really important. These are the firm foundations on which you can take your stand. And then he says that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Paul's insistent throughout this passage and throughout this letter, it's according to the scriptures. And the first foundation you can build your life upon is that of the Bible. 2 Timothy 3, 16 says that all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. We can build our lives on the firm foundation of the word of God. Do you know, so often what, what, we, can, what we can do is we can... We can let our culture shape our theology. I believe we should let the word of God change and shape our culture. This is the story that tells the truth about who God is. In a world that would set itself up and so many things setting themselves up as God over our lives. This is the truth of who God is. You know... Politicians, ideologies, YouTubers, sports stars, setting themselves up as gods over our lives. No. God has a name. And his name is Jesus. And he has a story. And a word. And it's here in the word of God. And we can be sure and we can build our lives on the firmest of foundations in the word of God. Paul says over and over again, it's according to the scriptures. It tells the truth about who God is. It tells the truth about who we are. Amongst the generation searching for identity. Tells the truth about how to live. It's also the words of God that are inside you that will save you when the storms come. I grew up in a family that, that was built around the Bible. Every morning I would come downstairs as a teenager and I'd find my mum and dad sat in the kitchen with their very doggy, dog-eared leather Bibles reading the Bible. And my dad, we would drive to the bus stop on the way to school, which was quite a long drive, and before I was allowed to talk about really interesting stuff like Aston Villa and the cricket, Dad made me learn Bible verses. At the time, it was a nightmare. I was really annoyed. I learned a Bible verse from every book of the Bible. And I had to repeat them before I could talk about how Villa had done at the weekend. But those verses have saved my life at times. It was a time at university when I was... In anguish, had a terrible night. Things were not going well. I screamed in anguish into the pillow. The next morning I woke up and I remembered a verse I'd learned as a 12-year-old that said, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. In that moment, those words saved me. Do you know, they saved me again recently. They've been, even this week, there have been times where I've gone to bed in anguish. My family have been down. We've had half term. We were meant to go away to the Lake District as a family, but we've been at home visiting my mum in hospital because she's going through chemo. It's a terribly hard time for us at the moment, but there have been moments when the word of God has saved me. As a family, that's our story as well. When I was 21, I got the worst phone call I've ever had. It was one of my mum's friends. She said, she called and she said, Mum, she said, Phil, I'm really sorry, but this morning your dad has died. I was 21 years old. My dad, my hero, my, my role model. In that moment, we had a choice to say, either God stuff you for letting this happen, or God, actually, we really need you right now. That night, my mum 
I've been married to my dad for 25 years. Her, her present is agony. Her future's uncertain. She's wondering how she's going to raise us kids. And a verse comes to her mind from Psalm 68, which says, A father to the fatherless and defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. Isn't that amazing? It's the word of God that gives us a foundation on which to stand. And maybe for some of us this morning, God is calling us to a deeper relationship with his word. May we be people who stand on the firm foundation of his word. Secondly, may we be people who stand on the firm foundation of Jesus. Do you know what I love? I love that we're not just part of some religion. We have a relationship with a person. Wasn't it wonderful? One of the interns said, I just want to get to know Jesus better. Do you know, I, I pray that for myself. I hope that when I get to 90, I pray I live that long. I know Jesus better every single day of my life because we have a relationship with a person and his name is Jesus. If you take the Christ out of Christian, all you're left with is Ian and he's not as good. <laughs> you see, in the beginning was the author the answer to the question not yet posed. Solution to a mystery not yet disclosed. Liberator to a regime not yet imposed. And there in the background as the story unfolds, holding his run from times of old, waiting as priests, poets and prophets foretold of the author of all love and life and all that is good. And then bang, in a moment that is cosmically linkable, the author becomes unthinkably shrinkable. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, because the author comes down to meet us. The king of the world becomes a fetus. And from Judean hills, the story was broadcast. And some logged on, hooked up, tuned in. And to those who did with a wireless connection, the author promised life and resurrection. Weaving tales, leaving trails, breaking jails, removing scales from people's eyes opened to a kingdom where humanity hails the author, but then impaled. You see, love is just words until action prevails. And this point is proven by blood drawn by nails. And squaring up sin and death, the author wails, it is finished. But that's just the finale of season six. You see, in season seven's a box full of tricks. The author smashes death in the face with a spade because hell cannot hold his loving tirade. And for 2,000 years, the story continues like there's nothing to lose. So reach for your settings and turn your Li-Fi on because the author is still speaking. His heart is still beating. And the story is love and with it he frees us because the author has a name and his name is Jesus. We are people of the Bible and we're people of Jesus. Thirdly, the third firm foundation that Paul speaks to the Corinthians about is the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He wasn't just a moral guide. He wasn't just a healer. He wasn't just a philosopher. His death and resurrection was the single most important moment in human history. Paul insists to the church in Corinth, this is of first importance that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. 
That death and resurrection meant a couple of things for us. First of all, it was a demonstration of just how much God loves us. Do you know, we just need to be loved, don't we? We really need to be loved. Even this morning, I've had a really tough week. I'm driving over. I live in Birmingham. It's a long way. But you know, there were moments on my drive over this morning, I was just, I just said, Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you that you love me. Romans 5 verse 8 says that God demonstrates his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Secondly, the cross also takes all our rubbish, all our pain, all our brokenness. At the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. It needs dealing with. And at the cross, Jesus takes all of our brokenness, all of our shame, all of our guilt, and it dies with him. And that changed everything. Do you know, we need, we need to get away from the fact that Jesus somehow just makes our life a little bit better. Jesus isn't like a little upgrade. You know, I, I don't know about you, but I get a phone call about once a week or something from my broadband company or my TV company who tell me to slightly upgrade my package. Jesus doesn't slightly upgrade your package. He changes everything. I've got a mate called Dave. We've all got a mate called Dave, haven't we? My mate Dave is from the West Midlands, speaks a bit like this. I once was playing golf with Dave. He was pouring his heart out to me. I've known Dave for a while, so I've earned the right to say this. I've been praying for Dave to become a Christian for about 15 years. Dave's pouring his heart out. His life's a bit of a mess. He says, Phil, I'm in such a mess. What shall I do? I said, I'm not very pastoral. So I said, Dave, your life is a bit of a mess. I said, the best thing you can do is give your life to Jesus and let him sort it out. It's absolutely true what he said next. He said, what's the second best option? (laughs) If you are following Jesus today, doesn't matter what's going on in your life, how hard it is, you are living in the best option for your life. If you're not following Jesus today, you need to. It could be because you're living in the second best option for your life. I saw Dave last summer. I was speaking in Newcastle in the evening. I went up to him. He was living in Newcastle. I drove up the motorway to go and speak there. And I texted him in the week. I said, Dave, can I come and stay with you on the Saturday night before I speak somewhere on the Sunday night? He texts back. Of course, he texts in Brummie. He said, that'd be great. Then he texted and said, would you like to come to church with me on the Sunday morning? I was like, yes! I said, Dave, this isn't normally how it works. Normally, it's the Christian who invites the non-Christian to church. He texts back, yeah, but there's a girl I like. <laughs> I, said, I, said, I said, whatever it takes. <laughs> you know? So we turned up, and it was a church a little bit like this. There was a balcony. Uh, the, the pews were a sea of grey hair. We turned up, and in the balcony, there was me, Dave, and the girl he likes. And um, the first few hymns we sung, I didn't know. And that was weird, because I'm like a professional Christian. And um, then came the words to Amazing Grace. And um, because, I, I don't know if you've noticed, I'm quite an exuberant worshipper, but also this song means a lot to me. So when this came on, I threw my arms in the air and started, Amazing Grace, and was so loud, the people in the pews were kind of looking around going, what is that racket coming from the balcony? <laughs> About 10 days later, I'm on the phone to Dave. <laughs> he, um, he says, Phil, I went back to that church you went to with the girl. They're still talking about your singing. I was like, yes. But I also thought I wouldn't miss this evangelistic opportunity. I said, Dave, can I tell you why it's amazing grace? He goes, all right then. 
I said, Dave, the thing is, when you become a Christian, Jesus doesn't make your life a little bit better. He changes everything. You go from being dead to being alive. You go from being lost to being found. You go from being blind to seeing. Dave, do you get it? He goes, not really. <laughs> so I decided to rewrite the words for him for Amazing Grace. If you, if you think Jesus makes your life a little bit better, how some people might sing it. It goes like this. Average grace, how bland's the sound, that slightly improved my life. I went to church, and I liked the songs, and now I have to be nice. <laughs> it's not average grace. Jesus paid a terrible price for you and for me. The king of the world. The creator of the universe loves you. It's amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Jesus changes everything. The cross is at the heart of the Christian faith. It's of first importance. Fourthly, we people who believe that you need to make a decision to follow Jesus or not. And it's the most important decision you'll ever make. And that is a firm foundation on which you can stand. Paul writes in another letter to the Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. When you become a Christian, everything changes. I don't know if you can tell, but I'm an evangelist. I quite like the good news. I believe we need to be good news people in a bad news world. That's what evangelical means. We're good news people. Early this year, I was uh, speaking at a, a conference I, I go to now and again, and, and it was the penultimate day. I'd done two weeks of speaking. I was completely exa- exhausted. And um, at the corner of my eye, just as I kind of finished a, 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 my lectern, I see at the corner of my eye a girl, probably about 14 years old, marching towards me, and she didn't look very friendly. You probably know the type, the really angry, bolshy, feisty year nine girl. And she's marching towards me like this. And I must confess, in that moment, I almost prayed, dear Lord, would you strike her down? She comes up to me and she says, Phil, I want you to know that God might have spoken to me through you this morning. (laughs) I said, I said, thank you. She said, and I might come back this evening. My friend has been badgering me to come to these meetings all week. At this point, the friend, who is the most meek, mild 14-year-old Christian girl you've ever seen in your life, popped out from behind her. I was like, well done. I didn't know her name at the time. Christian girl, well done. And uh, she says, do you know, I'm a Buddhist. I used to be a Christian. I don't believe it anymore. And I might come back this evening. <laughs> I went off for a much needed latte. And all afternoon I was praying, Lord, would you get that girl back in the evening meeting? Sure enough, in the evening meeting, I spot the, the trademark walk to the front <laughs> with a mate kind of following behind going, Really meek and mild. Anyway, it's a standard kind of Christian meeting. There was some singing, there was a talk. Then there was a time of silence. And out of the silence came some singing. You leave me out of cross. The band caught on, found the key. This heavenly moment of about 500 young people praising Jesus together. At the end of the evening, I finished praying with a lad, and this girl <laughs> comes over to me. She's like, Phil, I want you to know that God has done the miracle I needed in my life tonight. I'm like, wow, why are you still so angry? <laughs> she says, but I've got to go. Oh, she said, also, it was me who started the singing. 
That was my favourite song before I became a Buddhist. I'm like, wow, what does it look like for a 14-year-old Buddhist to lead a bunch of young people in worship? Now we know. I said, but before, she says, but I've got to go. I said, before you go, I think there's something you need to do. She says, what's that? I said, I think you need to give your life to Jesus. She says, all right then. I know on expectations, it doesn't normally work that well. She says, what do I do? I say, well, you just say you're sorry for things you're wrong. You say you want to turn your life to Jesus. You believe and you trust that he died and rose again for you, that you might be loved and forgiven and have a future beyond the grave. And you say you want to go for it with all that you've got. She says, and I do that. I said, I can't do it for you. So she closes her eyes. And I'm like, dear Lord, what is going to come up? <laughs> dear God, I want you to know. She prays his most beautiful prayer and decides to follow Jesus. We are people who believe that that is the most important decision any of us will ever make. And Paul recognizes this in his, in his moments to the Corinthians. He says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And for him, he was someone who hated Christians, who persecuted Christians. But he decided to follow Jesus. And that changed his life forever. So we're people of the Bible. We're people of Jesus. People of the cross and the resurrection. People of conversion. These are firm foundations on which we can stand in a volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous world. Finally, we people who are activists. See, our politicians would have us believe that our faith should be private. Now, our faith is personal, but our faith is public. Do you know, I love the fact I arrive here at church and there's people who need a meal coming for a meal. We are good news people in a bad news world. Christians against poverty. Food banks. Street pastors. Church runs more toddler groups than anyone else. We are good news people who make a difference. The church contributes so much to society. Why? Because our faith makes a difference in the world around us. I'm accosted as I, as I arrive by a six-year-old who hands me a shoebox and says, fill this up for people around the world. <laughs> we are people. Our faith makes a difference. This year, I bumped into that girl who became a Christian two years ago at this event. I said, how's it going? She says, you have no idea how different my life is. I get baptised in a few weeks and then I'm setting up a youth group because there's people in my area with mental health issues and I want them to know Jesus and how to deal with their mental health issues like I've dealt with mine. Why? Because faith makes a difference. We're people who can build our lives on the Bible, on Jesus, on the cross and resurrection, on conversion activism. Let's bow our heads, shall we? Father, we invite you just to speak to us now. Lord, where there are things that you want us to, to remember, words that you want to encourage us with, to challenge us with, Father, we pray that you would do that this morning. believe that for some of us here that's that might be a deeper relationship with his word that we need those words deep in our heart that will save us when the storms come for some of us here maybe it's become average grace not amazing grace 
And the Father wants to remind you that once you were dead, but now you're alive. Maybe for some people, you're like the girl in the story who has either walked away or has never had a moment where they've said, God, I'm all in and I want to follow you. And if that's you this morning, don't make the decision lightly because it's not easy. But I want to urge you to not live in the second best option for your life anymore. Maybe you've wandered away and this is a coming home moment. Maybe you've never made that decision before like the girl in the story. If that's you, I want to urge you to just pray that simple prayer now to him. Say, God, I'm sorry where I've got it wrong. If you've just prayed that prayer this morning, just want to, just so I can pray for you, just want to encourage you just to put your hand in the air. If that's you this morning. Father, thank you for those who've come home to you, either for the first time or come back to you this morning. Lord, I pray for them and I encourage them. Thank you that you've got them. Thank you that it says that the angels party in heaven when someone turns to you. Maybe for some of us this morning, the Lord's calling us to be more active. Maybe for some of us, our faith with our friends and our family is private. God wants to call us to be more like the Christian friend in the story. To try and drag our mates a bit closer to him. Maybe for some of us there's stuff at church we need to get involved in. We know for a while it's, there's been something that a homeless project or a missional community or something that God's just been nudging us towards and we need to make that step today. Maybe for some of us, we've got a mate called Dave. They don't have to be called Dave, but they're a friend who doesn't know Jesus yet, who we need to pray for a bit more for them to come to know him. Father, we thank you today. We love you. We thank you that you give us firm foundations on which to stand. Father, I pray that for each of us, as we leave this place, we might do so knowing that we stand on the firmest of firm foundations and that we might stand tall to make a difference in the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.